0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy.
1: And I'm Sydney McElroy. Justin, this was a tough one for me this
0: week. What's that, buddy?
1: Well, a lot of what we cover on this we're show... We're married,
0: by the way. We never mention that. Uh, in the intro, we never say, like, we're we're a married doctors, and we... Well, no, you're not a doctor. And
1: it is I'm... called a marital tour of yeah. misguided medicine. I didn't so know if like, I need
0: to clarify, like we're not we're not like brother and sister or anything, like we're married. And I'm rounding up on the doctor's thing. Is that not? That's not how that works. Okay. So okay. some of us are doctors on the show and some of us aren't. <laughs> and sorry, Sid, I didn't mean to interrupt you, bud. You can continue now. I'm very sorry.
1: Thank you. Uh, Justin, usually when we go into topics on the show, I have a pretty clear picture of the truth of the of like what the evidence is, what the science is, mm-hmm. because it's something we're covering something old, and it's something that has either been figured out or proven or disproven or whatever by now, right? Or it's something that, while it's new, it is pretty clear that it's fake or not, or or it's evolving in a direction that's very obvious. Sure. This topic this week really has me scratching my head because it's a strange one, and I. I, I am, I went into it thinking one thing and now I'm kind of starting to think another.
0: Okay. But I could be wrong. I, this is I, very stressful. This I've has been, been a very se- stressful research week for me. I've my. been seeing a lot of this conflict play mm-hmm. out in our home and I'm happy to, that it can now spill over into the listeners' daily lives.
1: I like to know the answer and I'm not I sure. Know.
0: I know. Like today, we had to hang a bunch of pictures on the wall and... And I said, Sid, I gotta be honest, I have no idea how to do this well. And Sydney and I, Sydney then said, Oh, honey, me neither. And then, literal moments after I hung the first picture, Sydney suddenly got very concrete ideas about how picture hanging should be conducted vis a vis placement, height eyelines very concrete ideas that apparently were not there moments before
1: well it wasn't until you started doing so bad that
0: (laughs) sure then you decided to have concrete
1: here's what i don't understand maybe we didn't know going in but once you did the stuff you did and then looked at it how did you not go okay well not that scratch that option out let's go to plan b
0: i said it looks i said i think it looks nice like an art gallery and sydney said that is the opposite of what we want It's like
1: a really whack art gallery where the pictures are hung at strange sort of equal like spacing and sort of the same height, but not quite. It looks like you just like didn't measure as opposed to like haphazard intentionally. It looks like you didn't measure. That's what I didn't want. So what's the topics? Anyway, uh, thank you to Holly and Elizabeth and Katie and Greg, Andy, Meredith, Mary, Oliver and Brandon for all suggesting auto brewery syndrome. Have you heard of this?
0: I mean, is this the part where I lie and pretend like you haven't been talking about it?
1: It's been in the media. Have you heard about this one, folks? Had you heard about it before I told you?
0: No, but your dad had, and that's something. But your dad watches a lot of oddball stuff. He keeps track of like weird things in the news.
1: You wouldn't have to uh, watch oddball stuff to find this. This is this is infiltrated the what what do people like to use the MSM. Mainstream media,
0: the lamestream media, in my
1: book. Oh, is that what you call them? (laughs) Uh, That's where I'm at. I see. I don't. I love the mainstream media. Love the media. Love it. Love journalists. Thank you. I'm on the pro side. But I used to be a journalist. (laughs) I know. I married a well, no, I married a guy who worked at Best Buy. Yes, he became a journalist.
0: Uh, I prefer games editorialists. (laughs) I really was more about bringing my own fun, funky. Uh, take to things than I was like real hard news, you know?
1: I uh, So there have been a ton of articles in various news outlets on the internet. I think this has made some like news stories on TV and in newspapers and stuff because it's a really interesting idea. Um, and it, it's all based on an article that was published this past summer. And this is not the first case of this ever or the first article that was ever published on this. It just seems to be the first one that has kind of captured the attention of the public. So, this past summer, uh the BMJ Open Gastroenterology Journal. So that's a it's an online open access journal. So, this has captured a ton of media attention. It was a case report and a literature review that tells the story of a 46-year-old pretty healthy guy who started having issues. He traces it back to a finger injury in 2011. He had some sort of wound on his finger and some sort of complicated injury that required a course of an antibiotic called cephalexin or you may have heard the brand name Keflex. Okay. Um, so he took the whole course of the antibiotics and after he completed it he started having these strange episodes and he described them as kind of a brain fog. And you you'll hear that term throughout this this diagnosis and this syndrome and I always I always think that I always get nervous when I hear the term brain fog because you you find it attached to a lot of other diagnoses that are more questionable things like Mm -hmm. chronic Lyme you'll Mm -hmm. hear brain fog tied to a lot I prefer to go with
0: having a senior moment that's (laughs) what I go with
1: I brain fog is more like I just feel uh, my the way people tend to describe it is like I can't you know, like you feel fuzzy. I would sure. think about it like the times in my life where I've taken cold medicine.
0: I feel like that if I had the mental capacity and state I do now, if I just woke up one morning in my like late teens or early 20s with this mental state, I would think that I suddenly have brain fog. <laughs> I can feel my cognitive abilities like dwindling as I as I age into decrepitude.
1: Having small children creates permanent brain fog. Hey, well, you ain't far, I, you ain't I'm hoping it off. actually is temporary. I'm hoping it will wear off once they sleep. Sleep, yeah. N- like normal yeah. humans. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he started having those symptoms first. It progressed until he was having some actual like mood changes, like depressive symptoms, and um, labil- like his mood was very labile. Some personality changes even, mm-hmm. um, and he finally sought care for this in 2014. So this went on for quite a while before he went and saw a doctor and discussed these issues. And the physician he saw felt it was largely. A psychiatric issue and so treated him with some antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications for what appeared to be some sort of depressive or anxiety or, or both kind of kind of diagnosis uh this didn't really help and everything kind of culminates in this story in an early morning arrest for a DUI so he's pulled over He appears intoxicated, he refuses a breathalyzer, he's sent to the emergency room, and his blood alcohol level is found to be 200 in the ER. Yikes! So, it seems pretty straightforward at this point, right? You find a lot of times, if uh, you can find substance use disorders and... Uh, Things like depression or other mood disorders or other other psychiatric diagnoses can be comorbidities. They can run together. You might find a slightly higher rate of one with the other or vice versa, especially when one is is not being managed. The medications were not working for his symptoms. Uh So on the surface, it seems pretty straightforward. He is... You know, trying to get a hold of these medical conditions. He's trying to get treatment. He's still in the process. It's not successful yet. He has had some alcohol.
0: To try to get on top of it. I get it.
1: self-medicating. He got caught in a DUI as a result. Now, what's interesting is that he insisted he had not had a single alcoholic beverage. Okay. Even prior to this episode, he says, I was never much of a drinker occasionally on social situations, but very rarely. And in the last couple years, he hadn't been drinking at all because of all these symptoms he'd been having. He didn't want any more brain fog than he was already experiencing. So he is, he is adamant, I did not drink.
0: So as people that have been doing sawbones for many years, we would at this point default to something, if not skepticism, maybe something approaching a realistic practicality. And a lot of a lot of the physicians who
1: encountered him agreed with with what my probably initial uh, skepticism would be. Um, Well, it a lot of people deny. Sure. uh, That they have a problem at first. It would not be unusual to be embarrassed or feel guilty. Realize that, you know, this if you had been drinking, I, I shouldn't have done that. I could have hurt myself or someone else. I wish I hadn't. I need help. This has become an issue. All of those are huge things to to be able to say out loud and seek help for. And so it's very natural to think, well, he's just not telling the truth.
0: Sort of like when I come home and I'm like, Sid, I don't know how that oatmeal cream pie double decker wrapper got into the car. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to me. If you have any ideas, please let me know because I'm freaked out, too. I'm freaking out with you. Right. About this oatmeal cream pie double decker Mm -hmm. bar right after I went to Dollar General.
1: We're in this together. Yeah,
0: we're in this together. Solve this puzzle. Yeah, help me crack this one open.
1: Well, even though the the physicians he saw, the healthcare professionals he saw, which he, he saw several, did not really believe him, his aunt did. And his aunt got him a breathalyzer and said, I heard about something like this over in Ohio. I want you to check on this breathalyzer every once in a while and see if even if you're not drinking you know, it looks like you're drinking on this breathalyzer. See if you've still got, you know, alcohol in your bloodstream, even if you hadn't been drinking alcohol. So he did that, and he, you know, ostensibly found that he was blowing positives on the breathalyzer, even though he wasn't drinking. And he located this clinic in Ohio, and he went there. And the doctors there had seen a patient with a similar situation before, like I said, this wasn't the first case, just kind of the first one that seems to have caught media attention. And they, uh, they felt like they knew what was going on. So they checked his stool, and they found Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and another yeast species. And that one specifically is better known as brewer's yeast. And from here they diagnosed him with auto-brewery syndrome. So what this basically means is that some people get filled up with a kind of yeast. It's mainly been yeasts that have been implicated, although a couple um, bacteria have been thought to possibly cause this as well. But mainly yeasts that have filled up the intestines. And we want yeast when we're brewing to turn sugar into alcohol, right? right. Like that's the whole idea. That's, that's how you brew beer or whatever, any kind of alcohol. Uh, but in this case... The carbohydrates and sugars and everything that this patient is eating will go into the stomach, into the intestines. The yeast will gobble it up, turn it into alcohol. That alcohol will get into your bloodstream and you get drunk. Okay. So that is the, that is the basic theory behind auto brewery syndrome. And the idea that we could find elevated levels of this yeast in the stool is, was thought to be proof, right? Right. Because Mm -hmm. you might have a little of this in your GI tract, but you shouldn't have as much as a lot of these patients are, you know, are finding. Okay. So that was the, that was what this man was diagnosed with. And like I said, the docs at this uh, office in Ohio felt like this was the likely cause because this wasn't the first time that they had seen a case like this.
0: Where else have they seen a case?
1: Well, Justin, I'm going to tell you about that right after we go to the billing department. Let's go.
0: The medicines, the medicines that escalate for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy?
1: I don't remember. Well, there's that. no
0: need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar.
1: I don't think I was going to... Squarespace,
0: what is it? It's a tool, think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the... Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products, you can uh, post your videos, you can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com Sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code Sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl. Is 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 part of my plan? Um, but they got like fancy. Stuff. Listen, to this. Where are you going to get this truffle oh, butter filet mignon? I mean, seriously, from 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 a a box. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to Factormeals.com Sawbones50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at Factormeals.com Sawbones50 to get 50% off.
1: We are so thrilled at your interest in attending Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's School for Heroism and Villainy. Wiganstaff’s beautiful campus boasts state-of-the-art facilities and instructors with real-world experience. We are also proud to say that our alumni have gone on to be professional heroes and villains in the most renowned kingdoms in the world. But of course, you are not applying to the main school, are you? you're applying for our sidekick and henchperson annex. You will still benefit from the school's amazing campus and you'll have a lifetime of steady employment. And of course, there's no guarantee how long that lifetime will be.
0: Join the McElroys as they return to Dungeons & Dragons with The Adventure Zone Graduation every other Thursday on Maximum Fun or wherever podcasts are found. So, sister, you were going to tell me about some other cases of auto brewer. Oh, I have a real hard time with this one.
1: I do, too. Actually, in all honesty, br- brewery. You've been crushing it, though. i got to do more exercises before I record. Uh, like the vocal ones. Sure. The you one know, one. the actors do.
0: Sure.
1: So this is a... Rel- Rubber baby buggy <laughs> This is a relatively new diagnosis in the sawbone scheme of things. Uh, but there have been case reports dating back to the 70s, mainly from Japan. There was one case series in 1972, water reported on 12 people with what has been called throughout the years drunkenness disease, uh, endogenous ethanol fermentation, gut fermentation syndrome, and then of course auto brewery syndrome, which it's no surprise to me if you look at these different um, choices, but auto brewery syndrome is you've become a brewery, which is an evocative.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really makes you sound like you're both—you're something between brewery and man. You are <laughs> half brewery, half man.
1: This is the future that the Terminator was warning us about. Right. Uh, a lot of the early cases were tied to some sort of pre-existing gastrointestinal
0: pre-existing beer like yes no. that would make sense
1: <laughs> a lot of the early cases were people who were drinking and didn't want you to know no yes. no they, they were people who already had some sort of um maybe motility problem in their bowels or they had for instance something called short gut syndrome so this would happen if some of your intestine had been removed it, it's it literally what it sounds like your gut's too short your small intestine is shorter than it should be
0: so it doesn't have short gut time syndrome to like. that's see that's a good name too as long as we're on name calling it's a good one
1: short gut syndrome it's exactly what it sounds like and it it could have either been because you weren't you there was just a genetic difference at birth or because some of it has been removed or or some of it is there but it's not functional how much intestine is actually functional either way there was a case report of a 13 year old girl who had short gut syndrome and after eating a lot of carbs would appear to be intoxicated and she actually was sent to uh like a, a detox and rehabilitation center for
0: substance use disorder related to alcohol out of curiosity how short are we talking
1: so do you know how long the small intestine is
0: See again, you guys start stop asking about this stuff beforehand because I will tell you with confidence that it's twenty feet. That's right, Justin. I'm so impressed. You, I mean, you did tell me. Yeah. Well, it's an impressive fact. It's impressive that I retained it, uh, and I listened. That's impressive.
1: And you, a lot of that, I don't want to say it's redundant because I mean it's good that you have all that, but you can get by until you have about six point six feet or less, and that's when things start getting kind of dicey. Okay. Um. But it's best, if possible, to keep as much small intestine as you sure, can. Sure. I'm,
0: I'm holding on to all of it.
1: Uh, there were also cases where people with things like Crohn's disease or other inflammatory bowel diseases okay. uh, could also have, these, have the, this auto-brewery syndrome. Because the idea was that if you have inflammation in your intestines, there are places where you can form strictures like tightening due to, like, Scarred tissue and damaged tissue and that kind of thing strictures can form uh and you can also have sort of partial blockages where stuff can't get through for a little bit and then it can okay and that can result in like pooling of like fecal material
0: so basically things aren't going through the the old gully works as as quickly or efficiently as they should
1: and as stuff sits there
0: it turns into beer
1: Yes, that is the thought, because a bunch of yeast will grow. Um, and these are not, also... Not beer,
0: right? Alcohol. Alcohol, is where, is yeah. Really we're, we're, just,
1: talking we're talking about alcohol, ethanol production. Uh, in, in addition, in some of these other conditions we're talking about, you may, as a result, have to take more courses of antibiotics in your life. Than the average person without one of those conditions would have to. Mm. Um, And there has been a lot of thought that these are tied to people who have taken courses of antibiotics, especially multiple courses, because we've said this on the show before. When you take an antibiotic, it's going to kill bacteria. It doesn't know to just focus on your sinuses or your ear or that foot wound you have or whatever, mm. right? Like right. it's just killing bacteria. And in that process, it can kill some good bacteria that you have in your gut that you need to help you digest stuff. The other reason that you have that good bacteria is that it it helps keep things like yeast at bay. Mm. It outcompetes the yeast. If you wipe out-competes
0: out the yeast is is catchy. You like should trademark that. compete
1: the yeast. If if uh, you have too much if you have antibiotics that wipe out too much of that good bacteria, the yeast can just flourish, right? Like it's a mm-hmm. yeast party because the bacteria is not there to keep it at bay. And then it's thought that can also lead to this because yeast grow and then they ferment and then you got alcohol and then you seem drunk, but you never drank. Auto-brewery syndrome. There have been uh, scattered cases throughout The years since then, throughout the 70s, when this was first kind of recognized. Um, And some of these people do have one of these underlying diagnoses. Other people appear to be totally healthy before Mm. being diagnosed with this. Sometimes you can trace it to, like, the the patient we mentioned in the beginning with, like, a course of antibiotics that was thought to maybe possibly trigger it. Um, Other times you can't. Uh, They're all different in terms of, like, their age and... What their you know health status is, and what they do, and where they live, with the exception of they appear drunk, they have an el- elevated blood alcohol level, they deny ever drinking.
0: That it's weird, but that variety of things. Well, let's okay. Let's keep going. Let's let's finish th- this because I want to talk to you generally about this, Uh but g- keep going on the specifics for for the moment if we can.
1: Uh, so there's some characteristics that can put you at risk. Um, Some things that I already mentioned, Um, but they did find some specific like people who have auto syndrome documented generally, not all, but generally they felt they were in poor overall health prior to this diagnosis. Even before these symptoms started, they had more food sensitivities. They tended to drink, Um, more water, less tea, coffee, dairy, candy, that kind of thing. They cook at home more. They don't eat out as much. They don't have as much starch, and they have a lot of GI problems already. I don't know if these were all things they found put you more likely to maybe be diagnosed with this later. Mm -hmm. There's been some thought that diabetes or liver disease Mm -hmm. like cirrhosis could be linked to it, Um, and I, I found some research that was kind of equivocal on that. There was one study that suggested that uh, patients with diabetes naturally produce more endogenous alcohol, more more ethanol, than patients without diabetes. Hmm. But it never rises to a level that it matters. You know what I mean? Like uh, there might be more alcohol in your gut, but it doesn't. It's not enough right. to make a difference. Is this
0: suggesting that like maybe it does sometimes? Like it it it. That maybe for some diabetics it is maybe it context. is.
1: That that would be the thought, although there was another study from twenty seventeen that said there is no correlation between diabetes or glucose blood glucose level and blood alcohol level at all. So I think that's still something we're we're trying to figure out. Um like I said, antibiotics are a common theme. Exposure to antibiotics.
0: Is this something that's like a I don't know the the right terminology, but like a symptom versus a condition, like a symptom of something else happening or its own thing.
1: Well, I mean, these, these patients report a lot of other symptoms in addition to like the drunkenness. So, I, I mean, if the idea is that yeast has overgrown in your intestine, it's going to produce, I mean, that, that is the problem. And this is one symptom of it, but there are a lot of other you know, GI issues and, and general wellness issues, general health issues, I should say, that that you can suffer from, I think, in addition to the okay. intoxication from Makes the alcohol. Um, the There was some thought that there was a genetic component, and that's why we saw so many cases early on in Japan, because that's really where a lot of the first cases were documented. And that mm. was the question, is this just, is it a genetic thing? Um, it's interesting, because the thought is that it is and it isn't. Auto-brewery syndrome isn't genetic, but your ability to break down alcohol, how fast you can break it down, varies uh, from person to person, and that is genetic.
0: So your susceptibility?
1: Well, so there's an enzyme that turns alcohol into something called acetaldehyde, which is toxic. And acid acetaldehyde, the more it accumulates in your body, you get nauseous, you get flushed, you get... I mean, you just feel terrible. And you have another enzyme that breaks that down further into acetate and then into water and carbon dioxide, and it's harmless. The more you have of that second enzyme, the faster you get through that toxic part. And for most of us, you don't even notice it, right? Right. You drink and you don't feel bad. Um, for some people, if they have less of that enzyme that toxic metabolite will build up pretty quickly, and after just a drink or so, they can feel really sick, really bad. So the thought was, if you're one of those people and your body's making alcohol, you're going to notice a lot faster than somebody who has more of that enzyme, and, I mean, they just feel off. You know, because you wouldn't think, if you hadn't been drinking and you just felt kind of foggy and off, you wouldn't assume, oh, I must be drunk. (laughs) because you hadn't been drinking. So the thought is maybe we just noticed it in Japan first because the symptoms were a lot more um, pronounced and a lot more uncomfortable than for patients elsewhere in the world. I don't know. The diagnosis right now is a lot to do with history, like ask. And uh, the big thing that a lot of the authors stress is you have to allow in your head the possibility that someone – Appears drunk, has an elevated blood alcohol level, and did not drink alcohol. And just like allowing your brain to accept that as a possibility is kind of the first step. Because <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, a lot of healthcare professionals would just say, "Come on, come on, come on, just be honest with me."
0: My belly. So your belly is making the beer. Is that what you're <laughs> telling me, sir?
1: And there, there's. I mean, it's it's good in in a sense that there has been a lot of media interest in this because there's not a lot of awareness of it. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. If you really want to know for sure, you basically can put somebody in the hospital. This is this has been kind of a diagnostic test that has been proposed, but this is all still pretty early, so I'm not going to say it's like the standard. You would put them in the hospital, give them some glucose, and then check their blood alcohol level at certain intervals every few hours, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if after a big glucose load, their blood alcohol level starts going up and they're being monitored, so you know they're not drinking alcohol.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there you- But they haven't done this, or they haven't done a lot of this kind of thing?
1: Well, all of the cases have been case reports. Meaning? So there are different kinds of, of journal articles, of research studies, of papers that are published. And the best, when it comes to something like this, are if you have a large group of patients who have a condition or are thought to have a condition, and you can do some sort of randomized control trial of a test or a treatment or something where some people get one thing some people get another you don't know who gets what mm-hmm. right that kind of thing, like a
0: clinical trial
1: kind of deal. Yeah, similar idea. These are not that. These are not big cohort studies. These are not big giant studies of a cross section of the population. Some of which have auto Brewery Syndrome, some of which don't, and comparing. But things. have we demonstrated these that the are individual stories of singular, or maybe a, a handful of patients? Have we and
0: demonstrated the phenomena happens though? I mean, like yes, we know this that has been done. This this happens, but it's been done so
1: few times. It's not. It's not scientifically robust. Okay. But it, but it, the case reports are powerful in that they are telling stories of patients that we don't see a lot, very detailed accounts, and then exactly what was done to try to figure out what was wrong. Mm. So they are interesting and certainly important to science. But they don't you don't derive a gold standard diagnostic test or a gold standard treatment from a case report.
0: Mm. Okay. Right, because that's okay. very
1: individualized. Um, so. They, they've done things like uh, scopes, upper scopes and lower scopes and like checked intestinal contents or checked stool for, for yeast. That's mm-hmm. been another way that they've tried to figure this out. Um, the treatment of it again, it's varied from patient to patient. Uh, everybody who's been diagnosed with this, they've tried a different approach. Can they um, wait them
0: out? I mean, it, does it go away, I guess is what I'm saying? Because so you're, you're the, talking about your body processing the alcohol, mm-hmm. right? If you processed it like, I mean, wouldn't, do you know what I'm saying? Like, that episode
1: p- would go away, but the yeast are still in there. And okay. the next time you eat a big carb load, it'll happen again.
0: Weird. Okay.
1: So the, so the treatments have reflected that one antifungals to try to kill the yeast. Mm-hmm. So that's been tried of a variety of different antifungal medications have been given to patients. Um, restrictive diets.
0: Lowering the carbohydrates. Yeah. Basically. Just don't eat
1: carbs. That's been a big, that's been part of the treatment. Um, hey
0: folks, it's great if you can do it.
1: <laughs> probiotics have been thrown in there. So put the good bacteria back in there to try to keep the yeast at bay, to try to outcompete the yeast again. Yeah. Um, these have all that's been. sorry though,
0: I man. Like, gut bacteria can change so much, right?
1: It, it can. And, like, you so can replace it. But what if you, eat. yeah, I mean, the, right now, what most of the case studies seem to indicate is that the low-carbohydrate diet and then a course of some sort of antifungal is the, is like the big mainstay of treatment. And then probiotics have been proposed as a, as a kind okay. of adjunctive treatment. Um, the But it's been different for every patient. If you read through these different cases, I read through a case report of three different patients and for each one, it was a totally different clinical course and a totally different treatment regimen with variable levels of success from each one. Mm. So like the first patient, a course of antifungals and they were great six weeks later they're great the next one was put on a low carb diet and had extreme difficulty sticking to that and had multiple episodes even after being able to stick to the low carb diet and um, some of the patients were put on three or four different courses of different antifungals some Mm. of them were uh, hospitalized and put on like strong iv antifungals so it's been different so it's hard to say which treatment worked the best because it seems very individualized for each patient so far um (sighs) The the case we first talked about had a very rocky course. Uh, he, he was seen by countless specialists in gastroenterology, psychiatry, neurology, all kinds of different um, subspecialties, and and general practice. He continued to have episodes. One one which landed him in the hospital with a uh, bleed in his brain from falling and hitting his head while he was That's intoxicated. Yeah. Uh, he was treated with a couple different antifungals. He was put on a low-carb diet. It took him a while. The authors mentioned specifically that they had a huge setback because he ate pizza.
0: <laughs>
1: and that had a he had an extreme relapse Listen, of Otter brewery syndrome after eating pizza. I don't
0: want my blood to turn to beer, but <laughs> I do want to crush that sour real quick. So the scientists in their ivory tower will just have to get used to just it. Gonna, I'm just eating this pizza. I'm eating this pizza, and I know. That the, are, are there carbs in pizza? I'm sorry, Doc.
1: It was cauliflower crust. It was cauliflower crust. It wasn't,
0: I, thought, I wasn't. I and no folks, that Don't let them zing you with the cauliflower crust. <laughs> Ask for the ingredients because it's probably got flour in there somewhere. It,
1: it almost—I mean, a lot of them do. Anyway, uh, if he, it tastes edible,
0: <laughs> it's got something else in there. Hey,
1: I love cauliflower. Don't.
0: Yeah. Don't hate on cauliflower in my presence. Like, okay, that's fine.
1: So anyway, it took him a while. He did man He did eventually manage to. It seems clear the yeast, and he is able to, I think, eat a more normal diet, and he is symptom-free at this time, or so the author's report. Uh, there's been some thought. You know, brewer's yeast is now a supplement people take. Oh. So is that something we might see more if people are taking it? I don't know. I, when I first—there was there was, a, there was a, an article published about this in the year 2000, which basically said, listen— we don't know. All the science behind this is shaky. It's all case reports. There's still not, as far as, like, the mechanism, like, the actual, like, on a molecular chemical, level, yeah. how everything is happening, There's it's still a lot of um, hypothetical stuff. We haven't actually proven a lot of it in a lab or in a human body. We're still guessing. And so based on all that, there was this big medical legal argu- article that was published in the year 2000 that said this cannot be a defense against drunk driving. If you, if you are arrested and charged with driving under the influence, driving while intoxicated, you cannot use this as a defense because right now we don't have a strong enough scientific basis for its existence. And what? we think you might be lying basically was the implication of this article. Um,
0: yeah, that- you could also, though, if you know this and you're like, mm, I'm feeling drunk. I know what this is. This is my auto brewery syndrome that I have. I'm not going to drive. Like...
1: This argument has been made as well. If you know you have this, yes, you should refrain from driving. Is that even if you even if we accept, well, maybe the science isn't all there, but it is a real thing and the science will come. We're just we just haven't, you know, figured it all out yet. Even if we accept that premise, should you be driving if you know you have this? Maybe when you eat pizza, you should stay at home just like you would if you drank some
0: beer. Delivery or de (laughs) journo. It doesn't matter. Stay at your house.
1: Um, it's hard when I, when I heard about it, I I'd heard about this years ago in passing and I was vaguely familiar. And the impression I got from other physicians was this isn't real. This is what this, this is people who don't, who are in extreme denial about their drinking.
0: Let's break this down for a second. And, and, and we're using like, I mean, we have all the research, the facts you have, right? The facts Mm -hmm. we have presented and so a lot of it comes down to interpretation. But let me tell you, and my after doing sobriety for a very long time, I'll tell you my sort of read on it, and you can tell me where where what I'm missing or what what else. Basically, when you first hear about it, there's an Occam's razor thing of well, you're trying to cover up your drinking. That's what like that drinking is shameful in some parts of the culture. Some people are just trying not to, whatever, then there's like an accident or what, like I fell and hit my head, like to use that example. So Occam's razor would say, you're trying to cover up your drinking. That would be the, the obvious thing. Um, and the other thing that I would put in like the negative column is when you're talking about the treatment for it differs person to person. That sets off alarm bells for me too of like, well, why? Uh, you know, like if it's if this is a real phenomenon, like we should be able to Whatever, but then, but it's happened so broadly. And then you talk about kids having it and stuff like that. Like, then it starts to make me wonder, like, well, maybe it's just something that we don't understand very well uh, that our bodies can do. Our bodies make weird smells when we eat asparagus for no reason. Like, our bodies do dumb stuff. It's,
1: I mean, the thing is, it makes a, a sort of sense on the surface. Now, that, and that is not always enough justification to believe something. There are lots of things. That you think makes sense. And that's not how the human body works at all. Uh, it might be the opposite. That being said. If you read some of the. And I've read a lot of the case reports of this. Some of them are very compelling. And the the it seems like from the, the way the diagnostic test was administered. They were being monitored. Blood alcohol levels that went up while the patient was in the hospital. Which doesn't make any sense at all. Unless somebody was bringing them alcohol. And I mean. It says they were being monitored. Obviously, we're not there in the room with these people, but I I have no reason to think they're lying. I have no reason to think the people who publish these articles, you know, who took care of these patients, why why would they be lying about it? So there's a lot of compelling argument to be made that this is just an underdiagnosed, unrecognized, real clinical entity that we don't understand all of the pathophysiology behind yet. There's still a lot of questions. And... I think because I, I read some some companion case reports <coughs> from people who had tried to use this defense mm-hmm. to hide that they they were they were in fact drinking, right. uh, and I think because of that, and then because of, I have found in some of the articles it starts to brush up against some uh, pseudoscience and pseudo medicine that is adjacent to this that I find mm. concerning mm. Um, because I'll, I'll start to read this and I'll think this all makes sense. Yes. And this, this must be a real thing that we just haven't learned enough about yet. And then they'll start to talk about on the side of that um, the idea that we're overrun with yeast and the idea that chronic yeast causes these problems. And that there is a whole uh, pseudo diagnosis around systemic chronic yeast. we I don't think we've ever covered that on the show, Um, that has been used to explain a number of ills and is not in any way evidence-based or scientific or accepted by medicine as a whole. For real. Right. So it's hard because I have found that it has brushed up against some of that. Um, Some of the authors have dabbled in both worlds. That's very
0: human, though. It makes sense that people who are trying to get you to believe their dumb thing would glom onto any sort of daylight they could find regarding like the unknown or like things that like oh we're not sure about this well you know if you if we can open up the the idea that maybe this is real maybe my dumb thing is real too you never know (laughs) like i'm serious like the the doubt that this sows because it is not well understood it seems like it'd be a breeding ground for like Hey, maybe my thing that is not real could slide in there.
1: <laughs> I, I, Well, and I do think, I think that's why we've said on the show before, while it is very important to follow the evidence, follow the science, do things in a, we have a systematic way of approaching questions. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, you have to first ask the question, is it possible that in the intestines of some humans, there is enough yeast that it is fermenting enough sugar to create enough ethanol that it can get into your bloodstream and make you intoxicated. Is that actually happening? And it seems like right now that that is at least in some of these case reports that has happened. Um, why and how and exactly what we do about it. I think we still have tons of questions. Um, I had, I had been concerned initially that this was the new spontaneous human combustion.
0: And you were just going to do like a straight faced history of it.
1: Well, I, well, no, I'm, I'm, I've got to be honest. I'm picturing Sawbones a hundred years from now and what they're going to say about me. Sawbones because too,
0: starring our great grandchildren. Uh,
1: there's the chance they're saying, "Can you believe we didn't we didn't accept that this was real? Obviously, it was real. Obviously, this happens. Obviously, and now we know the exact treatment and why it happened and all that." I also think that there's a chance that in a hundred years, maybe they're going to laugh at me. But right now, I I would say that what the author said is true. Obviously, there are going to be patients who come in and they appear intoxicated and their blood alcohol level is elevated and it is because they have indeed been imbibing some sort of alcoholic beverage. However, if a patient insists they haven't, keep your mind open. Mm -hmm. Give them the benefit of the doubt and do a little more digging. Do a little more workup. Do a little more investigating. Don't just tell them they're lying and move on. That would be my... And, and that's a good general rule for medicine. Sure, Assume that your patients are telling you the truth and let them prove you wrong. Yeah. Don't assume that they're lying to you and make them prove the opposite. So I, I would say in this case, I am going to leave my mind open to the possibility that auto brewery syndrome is something I'm going to see and take care of and manage and help patients with. And I would rather time prove me wrong. <sighs>
0: Uh, well, Sydney, that is not what I sort of expected with this, uh, when you went into this topic, but I'm very happy. Me neither.
1: Me neither. I had read that article from 2000 and
0: I thought, well, okay, but I mean, uh, I have some exciting news. If you want to see me and Sydney live and celebrate this most joyous of candle nights for 2019, uh, you can come see us on uh, December 21st at 4 p.m. at the Keith Albee Theater in Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, tickets for that show are going to go on sale Friday, November 8th. They are general admission. Friday, November 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern time.
1: On your birthday. On my birthday and Travis's birthday.
0: <clears throat> uh, all proceeds from that show are going to go to Harmony House, which is uh, 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 it, it provides shelter and resources. To people who are experiencing homelessness.
1: Mm-hmm. So. A local organization that is run by really wonderful, heartfelt, caring people and does a great service in our community and and could really use some help.
0: You could also, though, if you would like, uh, celebrate Candlelights from afar with our new line of Candlelights ornaments. There's a beautiful new Sawbones ornament. Have you seen this one, Sid? It's very festive. Oh, it is very festive. I love it. The little snakes, but they've got winter hats on. It's delightful. Uh, But you can uh, head over to uh, McElroyMerch.com, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y, Merch.com, and you can see that ornament. We've also got a a special Canaanites ornament that is benefiting Harmony House on there as well. So uh, you can buy as many of those as your home can hold. Thank (laughs) you to the taxpayers for the use of our Song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Max Fun for having us as part of their uh, extended podcasting family. And uh, we're, we're so thrilled that you decided to join us this week. And uh, that is going to do it for us. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.